0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Primate Cast. We're your hosts, Andrew McIntosh.
1: And Chris Martin.
0: And today we're going to continue our apparent series of podcasts on conservation issues. Uh, The last couple we've been speaking with Dr. Cricket-sans and Tomaki Nishihara. And uh, today we're going to be joined by another conservationist, but this time one set in the United States. So Dr. Steve Ross. Chris, can you tell us about him?
1: Sure. So like you said, Steve is involved in conservation through the zoo he works for, Lincoln Park Zoo, who has a major that zoo has a major focus on conservation. And at Lincoln Park, he is the director of the Lester E. Fisher Center for the Study and Conservation of Apes. And he also has a responsibility uh, for kind of a multi-zoo effort, which is uh, he's the chair of the Species Survival Plan, which is a multi-institute effort to manage the population of chimpanzees living in zoos uh, that are accredited by the Association for Zoos and Aquariums in the United States.
0: Yeah, so Steve seems to have a lot of things on his plate these days. He's actually involved mm. in a lot of different projects, a lot of different committees, and that should become very apparent to listeners throughout this interview, uh, where right. we do talk about issues for conservation and welfare, uh, specifically welfare in zoos for chimpanzees, but also their, uh, for example, their historic use in biomedical research in mm-hmm. the U.S. and things like that.
1: Yeah, so he has kind of a very broad interest in... Um, and chimps, so that ranges from conservation to welfare. But he, and, and also he's uh, doing cognitive research at the Lestrey Fisher, which is interesting for me as a cognitive researcher. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Here one of the reasons why he was in Japan this last time. Too. That's right.
0: But he also, in the interview, talks uh, about the interesting phenomena of public perception of chimpanzees mm. and what that means for, for. Uh, for the way that the public engages in conservation issues, or even understands conservation issues,
1: absolutely. Okay, so here is Steve talking about why he's in Japan.
2: This is my third or fourth time uh, being in Japan, and, and each time it's been to visit the the Primary Research Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known Professor Mazazawa for about a decade, yep. and uh, a lot of the work that I do at Lincoln Park Zoo is sort of based on the work that's done here at PRI. Right. Um, so, as, as I've said to a couple people, I, I come back to Japan every three years whether I need to or not. I really in, enjoy it here, um, and not just for the science. I, I really enjoy the people as well. I know yeah. that you also
0: enjoy the karaoke.
2: <laughs> I do, and only a few people know, <laughs> know how much I night. do. Well, yeah, plus true. all the audience of the Primate cast here. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm sure
1: a lot of them are there for your karaoke night on IPS.
0: And just a side note, I hear this time you're actually going to see something other than the chimpanzees at the PRI.
2: Uh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to believe it, for anyone who knows me that I would be doing anything other than chimpanzee work, but uh, I'm going to be visiting some of the natural habitat for the Japanese macaques as well, because Lincoln Park Zoo is building an, a new exhibit for them. Oh.
0: Yeah. So let's get onto that Lincoln Park Zoo. So you guys are pretty much well, one of the leaders, I suppose, in the US, but also... Probably in the world as well. Now with the the facilities you've be able, been able to set up there, uh, can you talk about that? The Regenstein Center and also the Lester e. Fisher Center.
2: Yeah, you know, Lincoln Park Zoo is, has long been a sort of a leader in zoo-based conservation and science, um, but it's really grown over the past couple of years. When I joined the zoo in 2000, the conservation st- science staff was about five people, and today it's, I believe, 42. We've got 18 PhDs in our relatively small zoo. We're, we're a small urban zoo. Um, so we've got a number of different programs, and the, the center that I work with is the Lester Fisher Center for the Study and Conservation of Apes. And we have more researchers than we do apes. Um, so it's a, pretty, it's a pretty productive center. Um, we do everything from, from field work uh, with a couple sites in Africa to a lot of on-grounds research, cognitive research, and uh, as well as some advocacy work, too.
1: Now, uh, when Jane Goodall came onto our podcast, she actually mentioned that a turning point in her career was a conference at Lincoln Park Zoo in the 1980s. Maybe it was in in Chicago. I don't know if it was specifically at Lincoln Park, was it?
2: It it wasn't Lincoln Park Zoo, but but yet it was, kind of, because it was at the uh, Chicago Academy of Sciences, and that building has since been transferred over to our administrative building I see yeah
1: <laughs> and she actually mentioned that that's when she first kind of realized that she needed to change her focus from the research to the conservation so yeah. uh, can you talk a little bit about the history of kind of the chimpanzee research community meeting as at Lincoln Park and kind of using it as a locus for communication
2: yeah you know it's again it's it's one of the oldest zoos in the country so we have a, mm-hmm. a long history in a lot of things but one of which is, is apes and um, so now since that initial conference uh, with Jane was at, in which a number of different field sites came together and talked about uh, their research, there's now been two, two subsequent meetings just based purely on chimpanzees, the most recent being in 2007, which um, the Lester Fisher Center hosted called the Mind of the Chimpanzee. Um, and so, yeah, I think in many ways it's a regular every 10-year thing for primatologists who study chimpanzees to, to descend upon Chicago and, and talk chimp that's
1: great wow and also IPS is in Chicago so. oh yeah
2: that's right so it's just been announced that uh, in 2016 the it will actually be a joint meeting of the American Society of Primatologists and the International Primatological Society and we're going to have the next in the Japanese series oh wow so it'll all be the same place so I'm sure I'll see both of you there wow, in 2016 maybe yeah, we'll have a podcast <laughs> a, a remote podcast
1: yeah
0: I'm surprised you have time to visit us in Japan with all these other things going on there. yeah I've got a lot of interns
1: <laughs> so, yeah, very cool.
0: But just returning briefly to uh, the Jane conversation so the Lincoln Park Zoo also did have projects involved with uh, both at Gombe and more recently at the Logo Triangle with uh, Cricket Sons and David Morgan. But can you just talk a little bit about those?
2: Yep. Um, Dave Morgan is, is a full time member of the Fisher Center staff. And so uh, even though we only see him a couple times a year, he spends between eight and 10 months a year in ago, in the Republic of Congo, and that represents our, our main um, forward into, into field research. And so that's someone who works uh, not only in, in terms of tool use with his wife, Cricket, uh, but in terms of the impact of logging in Central Africa. And so um, you know, working with Dave has been great because I'm not a field researcher at all. I, I work almost exclusively with captive chimps, um, so Dave represents a really important part of the Fisher Center and showing a commitment to field conservation.
0: I think there's a really nice bridge there because you and your career have been really focused on improving the livelihoods or lives of the, the animals in captivity. And I think their research in Guilogo is a great example of kind of progressive conservation work.
2: Uh, so you're both kind of, you have similar aims in just different realms. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And we always talk about it. We're both interested in chimp welfare, mm-hmm. just sort of on a different level and on mm-hmm. different continents. But I think without one or the other, the Fisher Center really wouldn't be the same. We're, we're very invested in both. You know, on-grounds, animal welfare issues uh, within the country United States, but also conservation in Africa.
1: So it seems to me like Lincoln Park has done a really great job of kind of balancing enrichment and research with conservation, and it's kind of leading the pack, I think, in terms of having a well-rounded uh, zoo with different goals and, and ways to achieve those goals. So what do you see for the future of zoos in general, um, and I'm talking about research at zoos and also kind of doing this uh, research alongside conservation?
2: Well, I think what I hear a lot from other zoos is some surprise that we're able to maintain such Mm -hmm. a large conservation science department and such a a research um, group. And what I I constantly get is, you know, how can you afford to do that? And what they're often surprised to know is, is that we don't come out of the operating budget at all. We're Mm -hmm. almost completely Mm -hmm. grant-based, some of which are government grants, a lot of which are foundation grants. And uh, I think that's eye opening to a lot of zoos and saying that they could have a great conservation research program and it not take away from the animal care, the education, all the sort of base components to a zoo. And I'm hoping that that will sort of inspire some other zoos to sort of take this on. Maybe they can't have a staff of 40 people right from the beginning, but I'm seeing more and more a zoo sort of stick their little toe in the water, say, hey, if we hire one scientist, then maybe that can lead to another and lead to another. I mean, I myself at Lincoln Park Zoo started as a part-time researcher, turned into a full-time thing, and then before you know it, we had a rather large staff.
0: So something a little bit obscure, but uh, we're talking now about great ape
2: welfare and conservation, but
0: I think I read somewhere that you might have started out in animal behavior studying
2: pigs. Yep, yep. I started in Canada studying pigs. Now, I knew (laughs) at the time that I wanted to work with chimps. I'd, I'd, I've known that for a long time, but um, when you grow up in Canada, there's not many chimps up there. And so um, I started uh, actually with a fairly prominent uh, animal behaviorist named David Fraser. He's at University of British Columbia now, and he's one of the leaders in captive animal welfare, specifically farm animal welfare. And uh, we were studying the impact of alternative housing systems for pigs that would you know, end up as bacon someday and um it really gave me some initial insight as to you know the importance of um physical environment social environment in terms of behavior and welfare so i spent all day um well first drawing numbers on the back of pigs with big black markers so that we could record them with the overhead video cameras spent a lot of time um, measuring their weights because that was one of the primary measures of welfare for pigs was simply weight Um, and then doing a lot of behavioral data collection all of that now you know 15 20 years later has proved to be super beneficial to me i use a lot of those same techniques now with apes um, didn't know it at the time but it's been really beneficial
0: yeah i think it sounds like a perfect transition yeah. in science. so how do you see the progression of science based say enrichment or uh, welfare activities these days
2: it's a, it's a slow process it's frustratingly slow for someone who's sort of worked in that field for a while i mean and it's a double-edged sword because on one hand, I'm a big advocate for using sort of evidence-based science in order to promote increased welfare practices, enrichment, and so on. But the other the other side of the coin, though, is that it can be used against you. So you might um, feel very strongly that chimps or other animals should have more space or have certain practices to increase the welfare, and that can be resisted because the correct studies haven't been done. And so, I. I have mixed feelings uh, love-hate relationship with sort of evidence-based reasoning in terms of it being able to actually progress animal care
0: not so another thing that's maybe relevant to that is the, the in a zoo setting for example is the visitors so I know you've also done some research balancing the type of enclosure or the way that the, d- the design uh, is implemented versus you know being something that's pleasing for visitors and not right. so taxing for the animals <laughs>
2: That that was eye-opening for me when I First, started at Lincoln Park Zoo, I was actually hired to do research that would inform the design of the Reckenstein Center for African Apes, and um, I wasn't a zoo person at all. So I didn't come in with the usual preconceptions of oh, you have to draw you know draw up these architectural plans so that they're pretty looking and that they're good for visitors and so on. I came in with a completely animal-centric viewpoint, and um, but I didn't know it at the time that I was doing things a bit differently. Um, so we did. Um, four years of research basically on other facilities as well as our own apes in the old facility to design the space. Um, we, we had some eye to, to visitor experience, of course, um, but for the most part we built uh, facilities that catered to what animals like, and we got their preferences through behavioral research. So that, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a building built not only for animal research, to do animal research, but also by animal research. So can
0: you tell us about Project Gym Care?
2: Yep, Project Chimp Care is um, it's a different type of scientific venture. I still think, even though it's advocacy-based, it's, it's really research as well. Um, I'm, I'll tell the long story of it. Um, basically, I'm the chair of the SSP, which manages all the, the chimps in the zoos. and We were more and more, through um, the early 2000s, getting calls from people who had pet chimpanzees, and that's still perfectly legal in the United States. And they were saying, you know, can you please take our pet chimpanzee off of us where we need to place them in a zoo or something like that. And that was becoming more and more frequent. And I realized that even though a lot of people were aware that this um, was happening in the United States, that there were pets out there in people's backyards and garages and so on, no one had really quantified it at all or no one really understood what was going on or how those chimps were housed.
1: Can we kind of go back a little bit here and just... (laughs) Can you tell us why this is this this was the situation? Yeah. So why first of all why are there so many chimps in the U.S. Yeah. and how did they end up in backyards? So I think that that's pretty interesting. It's
2: yeah, that's too long for this podcast. Yeah, sure. But one of the big reasons, and I think actually the biggest reason for it, um, stems back a couple decades when uh, in the United States whether a species is considered endangered or not is part of this Endangered Species Act, the ESA. And uh, originally chimpanzees were uh, considered endangered and so therefore they were granted certain protections but at a certain point they were downlisted to threatened which is the next highest status that doesn't have all the protections in other words if you're not endangered you can be bought and sold on the open market. And they were downlisted in part because um, there was a fairly large lobby group to use them in biomedical research. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that downlisting, a a whole commerce-based industry on buying and selling chimpanzees flourished throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And and zoos were part of that as well. A lot of animals moved from zoos to labs and then back out to private hands again. Um, Since that time, they've actually split-listed chimpanzees. It's a very unique situation in that no other animals um, have such a split listing, but basically wild chimpanzees are considered endangered, but captive chimpanzees aren't, which seems ludicrous to many of us. Um, and that continues today, so because of that, chimpanzees aren't endangered, so therefore it's completely legal still to own, buy, sell as chimps, and they've flourished. There's, there's um, almost three times as many chimps in the United States as there are in the country of Tanzania. Hmm. So, that's just, that's amazing. It's <laughs> yeah, hard to it's get in mind to wrap your head around. So,
1: as I understand it, this is the first effort to create a, deba- a database in America of all the chimps that are out there and who they belong to, which is something that has been done in Japan before.
2: Is that's that right? right. And it's it started out almost as a census, and, and like a lot of things that I do, it had its sort of philosophical origins and stuff that PRI helped run, so the GAIN network. Mm-hmm. Um, was something that inspired me to to do this sort of census and we spent about two years physically traveling around the united states because it's one thing to count up the number of chimps that are in public zoos mm. it's not that difficult to sort of figure out how many there are and where they are but to locate chimps that are in tied up to a chain in someone's backyard in rural mississippi is much more difficult so we spent a total of twenty four months traveling around the united states um... and finding all these chimps mm-hmm. and then being very systematic in terms of um, the information we collected on all these chimps and then entered them into a database. One level of that database is available on on the website, so you can sort of see in general how many chimps are in each state.
1: Right, so that's ChimpCare.org?
2: That is ChimpCare.org, and, and we maintain that database even to this day. So um, Just um, a couple months ago, the last pet chimpanzee in the state of California died, and uh, we were aware he was there. Um, and because ChimpCare has sort of become more and more prominent, we were notified when he died, we updated the database, and now, you know, if you go online, you'll see that there's no more pet chimpanzees in California.
1: Wow. Well, um, okay, so I want to ask a related question to Chipcare. and that's a series of studies that you've done on public perceptions of chimps, and I, I know that that perception is shaped a lot by these privately owned uh, entertainment chips. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, what happens when people see, a a chimp in a commercial and how does that affect kind of people's perceptions of wild chimps and and their status? Yeah, we
2: again we knew very early on sort of the issues that were at play there we knew that when people saw chimpanzees on TV that they didn't perceive them the same way that say the three of us would perceive chimpanzees Mm -hmm. but there was no uh, quantifiable evidence of this so we took on that problem by by doing a number of surveys the last of which, um, that we've published, used a um, experimental design in which we had uh, used sort of Photoshop to alter different photographs of the same chimpanzee to put a human being beside them or to put them in different settings, whether it's a zoo setting or a wild setting or um, in an office building. And using this sort of paradigm, we were able to sort of tease out what the different effects of different images of chimpanzees were. And we were able to um, relate very quickly, actually the, the results were, were very clear that simply having a person next to a chimpanzee, standing next to them in in free space, not only made people think that chimpanzees might make good pets, um, but also made them think that they weren't endangered in the wild. And this is something I think a lot of us have sort of suspected, but it was nice to get that empirical evidence of that exact effect. So now when we talk about the use of chimpanzees in entertainment in the United States and elsewhere in the world, there's not only this um, argument that's based on animal welfare, And how those chimps are treated but also in terms of conservation that these things are actually have an effect on wild chimpanzees if you don't think they're in danger why would you possibly support a conservation organization
1: right and uh, I saw your interview on TV so you were on Fox News and I I, I, if I remember correctly the host made kind of this point that you know if people see chimps in commercials then they'll form kind of an emotional attachment to chimps and then they'll be more concerned with chimps Mm -hmm. but what you're saying is kind of a different story it's that that perception itself, even though they're interested in chimps because they saw it at a commercial, it's kind of the wrong perception that, that they're getting. That's so. right.
2: And, and the argument that he gave is the same one I hear all the time from yeah. those who use chimpanzees. Right. right. So
1: what's what's kind of your main response to it, uh, to, to kind of dealing with that uh, perspective that a lot of people seem to have?
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, if you look at the the way the the data reads mm-hmm. that emotional connection is certainly just washed out by this overwhelming feeling. They might like them, but they don't think they're endangered. Right. So even though um, we did ask questions of affect as well, we asked how they felt about chimpanzees, and they were no more likely to think that the chimpanzee in the picture was happy or not. Right. Um, so that's unchanged. But when we ask them whether they're endangered or not, oh no, they're perfectly safe. Why? The, the thing we hear often from uh, from the general public is. What If they're in danger, they wouldn't be in commercials. That's a very overwhelming sentiment when you talk to the general public, and that's the sort of thing that we're combating.
1: Yep. It seems like an uphill battle. I mean, so like people's chimps capture people's imagination. That's right. they're so close to humans. And it seems to me like even if, even if you eliminate chimps from acting in commercials, there might still be an effort to use chimps, either CGI chimps, yep. like in Planet of the Apes. And it's hard to say, you know, that from your perspective, that might not be a good thing because even though it's not a chip, it's a that's it right. looks like a chip. CGI is pretty good, so
2: that's right. And that, you know, this is why when the, the latest Planet of the Apes, I sort of have that mixed feelings, because I, I don't think yeah. that helps in the perception. I think people will see them. They don't know, especially with the CGI now. Right, it looks real, so mm-hmm. it's probably having all those same effects. Yep but you've won the animal welfare side of it. And I yeah. think ultimately that's we, these arguments about um, perceptions and how they affect conservation and pet ownership is is in a way just ammunition so that we can get all the chimps out of that that business. Yep. I mean, they're all legitimate effects, um, but if we can end the use of, of apes to entertainment, I think we'll have, we'll have come a long way. And, and, and to be honest, in the past 15 years, uh, the number of chimps used specifically for entertainment has, has gone down. Um, from about 70 down to about 12 or 15 so Mm. there's really only one major player left in that industry right now Um, so I think we've we've come a long way Mm, that's great
0: so another uphill battle that recently had some an interesting result that you were heavily involved in was the use of chimpanzees in biomedical research so that's maybe a more product provocative issue especially in the scientific area uh, where there's probably a lot more
2: Debate. That's right. Uh, so can you just
0: walk us through that and wh- and what the recent decision was?
2: Sure. At the NIH. So, um, wow. Yeah. Where to begin? <laughs> the, um, there obviously, there's been growing concern about the use of chimps in invasive biomedical research, and so um, there's about 950 chimps in the United States that are housed in laboratories. Some used in non-invasive cognitive research, but some are still used in invasive research. They were heavily bred throughout the 80s to combat the AIDS virus for which later they were found not to be a great model. Um, And since that time, this debate has sort of raged, sort of simmered for a while until a few years ago when some chimpanzees were to be moved from one research center to another. And um, that raised a lot of public concern. And as a result, there was an IOM, an Institute of Medicine committee that uh, debated and contribute for a year I think and then they came out with a report that said well basically CHIP research is not really essential anymore. But they left a lot of definitions open and waiting so they did what we do in America which is to create another committee to interpret the first committees. And so that second committee was the Council of Council's uh, working group on the use of chimpanzees in NIH sponsored research so it was very specific to chimpanzees that were owned by NIH for research most especially invasive research um we i was on that working group um i was the only one on the working group who currently work with chimpanzees there was one other person on the working group um, dr danny povinelli who had experience with chimpanzees but he uh, resigned from the group about two-thirds of the way through um and this group was put in place to interpret the IOM report and to make sort of practical suggestions and recommendations to NIH about what we should do about this problem. In January of this year um, we released a report that uh, had a, a number number of outcomes, one of which was to reduce the research population down to a very very small size from about 950 down to maybe only 50, and, um, and that the way that these chimpanzees should be housed had to be um, greatly improved. So right now the main regulations um, that surround chimpanzees in labs are USDA minimum standards. The minimum standard for chimpanzees is uh, 10 by 10 by 10 um, feet And uh, these recommendations say that each chimpanzee should have approximately 1,000 square feet of space. So it's a a, a monstrous increase in terms of the way they're housed. Now, there was many other recommendations, including a minimum social group size of seven. Um, And this gets back to something we talked about earlier, about evidence-based research. Mm -hmm. And I think critics of these types of recommendations would say, well, why is a group of seven a magic number? Can't Can't a group of six be perfectly happy? We know wild chimpanzees wander off as groups of two for months at a time. Um, but I, I would argue that um, I think it's time that we start start progressing, start pushing forward a little bit in the way that chimpanzees are housed and cared for, and that uh, we consulted a, a number of different experts. And these uh, numbers that we put in the report are sort of a culmination of all that sort mm-hmm. of uh, best practices. And so that's currently debating, being debated by the NIH, and they're going to respond whether they accept the recommendations in the, well, hopefully soon. Well, Sounds like a huge effort It, it was a lot of work and yeah. uh, a lot of ulcers later We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got it done, but I, I You know, it's 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 a labor of love because you know This is what I think you guys and, and myself are all interested in is you know improving the lives of chimpanzees whether it's through research or whether it's through enrichment or whether it's through other means and um, I think there's a lot of people in laboratory environments feel the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, now it's up to the NIH. And, and frankly speaking, what it's down to now is not just philosophy, but, but money. This is a, a mm-hmm. $400 million problem. Wow. So
0: was there, I mean, was there a modicum of, of closure with that? Or is it still just too many questions left
2: for you? Yeah, for me personally, it's, it, it will remain open, uh, I think, for a little while longer, at least till NIH makes a response yeah. to it. Um, but even then, I think we, no one with any reasonable expectation is going to think that um, all those chimps are going to be properly housed overnight. This is, this is maybe even not within our lifetimes that, that this problem would be completely solved, but it's a, it's a large number of chimpanzees.
1: Um, okay, so I have one more question, and that's what you're describing with socially housed chimpanzees with a lot of space. And only certain types of non-invasive, kind of voluntary research protocols. What you're describing sounds a lot to me like a zoo environment. And so I wonder if um, what what you think about. I, I asked this before about the future of research at zoos, but do you see that as a direct result of this uh, NIH uh, recommendation? Kind of, there becoming more of an emphasis put on research in zoo environments.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's an opportunity both. You know, in terms of chimp research, but also for zoos. Yep. Uh, I think this is the sort of thing that if researchers want to continue to ask all the questions that I still think are very interesting, mm-hmm. and they want to do so in environments that maybe meet the emerging standard of the public and of professionals, right. then zoos tend to be a really good place to do that. Mm-hmm. Today there's not enough of that going on in zoos in my, in my estimation, but maybe something like this can sort of push that forward. Hmm. All right. Well, glad you're optimistic. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's been great, great having you on the Primate Cast.
0: Here.
1: So thanks for joining yeah, us. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you both. You have been listening to the Primate Cast, a podcast series dedicated to the study and conservation of primates around the world, brought to you by the Center for International Collaboration and Advanced Studies in Primatology of the Primate Research Institute of Kyoto University. Visit us online at www.cicasp.pri.kyoto-u.ac.jp forward slash news forward slash podcasts and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash and on Twitter at The Primate Cast.